before the border wall because I mean like people like home is home you know so they like go back and forth you know and and they just walk or in a horse they come over here for to visit or for a wake or you know things like that and then go back again and now they cannot do that because of border wall. Because, you know, a lot of people that are in the reservations and back, especially the elders, they didn't have papers, you know, like the birth certificates and stuff like that. We didn't have electricity, so, you know, to for you to be able to get a passport or a visa, you had to have all these document, you know, documents, like, you know, proof of your income, a proof of your electricity bills. I mean, all these things, the people and our people don't have that. So it was, it was very hard to, to do the process to get a, a visa. This is the ancestral land of the first people, the Kumeyaay. When the border between the United States and Mexico was established in the 1850s, the land of the Kumeyaay was split between the new American state of California and northern Mexico. People and culture were immediately divided. In the over 170 years since, the effects on the culture and land management have become evident. In this series, Divided Together, we'll be highlighting the impacts the border has had on the Kumeyaay and the land they've inhabited for thousands of years, how scientists and geographers have collaborated across the border to help preserve and study the land, and the various land use practices the Kumeyaay have used throughout time, and how altering them has created an alarming impact. I'm Anne-Marie Tipton, the Education Coordinator at the Tijuana River National Estuarine Research Reserve, and I'll be your guide. During lunch, I sometimes like to walk out on the gravel paths that lead away from the Tijuana Estuarine Visitor Center and further into the estuary. Each time I'm greeted by the marsh that marks the westernmost edge of the Tijuana River watershed. Depending on the season, I'll sometimes see different birds cruising the marsh, from the northern harrier to egrets to willets and long-billed curlew, and our signature species, the light-footed ridgeways rail. If I look further off in the distance, I can see the unmistakable border fence separating the United States from Mexico. Just on the other side of the fence is Playas, a small part of Tijuana, Baja, California. Resting on the hill are houses that, when looking north, look right back at the reserve, including Borderfield State Park that rests in between. In this first episode, we'll hear from a respected member of the Kumeyaay Nation, Ana Gloria Martha Rodriguez. For nearly 20 years, Martha and her family have been important stakeholders for California State Parks in San Diego County often sharing cultural knowledge and providing invaluable feedback on proposed projects. She and her husband, Dr. Stanley Rodriguez, participated in our Fiesta del Rio event for 10 years. They both own the Kosai Kumeyaay Market in Old Town San Diego State Historic Park. We'll hear how this border has had an impact on the people and the land over the centuries, and we'll hear what Martha is doing to help prevent further erosion and maintain the Kumeyaay way of life and spirit. Hello, my name is Ana Gloria Marta Rodriguez. I'm from San Jose de la Zorra, Cumia. 
Martha's current role as a mentor and educator within the tribe cannot be understated. The Kumeyaay ways of life were instilled in her very early on, and she plays an important part in passing down this cultural knowledge to the next generation. I grew up on the, in the San Jose de la Zorra, and uh, so some of the stuff, you know, like um, learning from my family, my grandma, my great-great-grandma. So I was very lucky to, to have, you know, to be a fourth generation. So that was even before electricity and uh, internet and all that. Uh, so I, I was grew up like helping my my family like collecting berries or acorns and prepare the acorn mash and um, different meals and stuff like that. Go hunting and stuff like that. So that was um, I was fun, you know. And and uh, but the same the same um, same thing was like we need to do that to survive. You know, we had to go hunting and we had to go uh, uh, collect our own foods and stuff like that. But for me, it was you know like. Um, uh, how to say, very, like, fun, but at the same time learning. And this learning came from a strong role model. Well, my mom, she uh, she was a traditional chief in my reservation. So she was always doing, she was, she was very active. And then in the communities in Baja and over here, too, she was one of the first women to, to go out of the reservation, even though she didn't speak Spanish very well, you know, she never stopped. She just always and come over here and have that connection with people without even speaking English. And then, uh, and how you see how she helped the communities in in, in Baja too. It was very, um, how do you say, empowered me to you know keep going the work. Martha's work with the Kumia youth is a strong reflection of her own childhood. So a lot of now when I teach, I'm. I, I would I like to be, you know, people have fun and learn at the same time and have this community knowledge to bring it to, to the schools and not only the Western education, but also the traditional education. Her work in educating youth has included empowering them in direct action along the border to protest the wall and its impact on the environment, which involves protecting important cultural sites that hold human remains. We found a group they call Tipe Hua. It's a grassroots organization, and we work very hard with uh, social justice and and also looking for resources and to empower the youth in the community so they can um, be connected to their own communities and help the other youth inside in the communities too so they can have uh, role models that they want to do, you know, when they're growing up. We are involved with different, uh, different issues, and then when the border wall, they have the um, call of action, we went and support them 100%. You know, we're going over there almost every day. Uh, also bring people from different reservations come in and, and support this and be all together in, in ceremony to uh, to protect the sacred sites we have in there. Because when they they were put on the border wall, they, they destroy a lot of the sacred sites. It was very neat to, for me to be involved with this because I really like when I have like younger kids and the elders come together and you know and be like, this is not right what you guys doing. And to see all the youth bearing power, you know, this is our land, this is our, home, our holy land, and we are here to protect it in a peaceful way. And you can see, really see how the government from both sides of the border, how they treat the native people like criminals. You know, we're over there, very peaceful in prayer and a ceremony, and they're trying to stop us. And it was like, 
you know, the government, like military from both sides of the border, and then helicopters and planes, and it was all over us. And see, you know, the kids, they were not afraid. You know, they were not afraid. They were just very strong and and, and very um, empowered. You know, this is our homeland. And then to see, you know, people stopping the big machines trying to destroy more land, and people were like, no, you know, we're here. And at the same time, it's hard to see that, you know, this is your land. You're protecting, your, you know, human remains and stuff like that. And, and these people just, you know, treat us like criminals. It's like terrible, especially to see that in, with the elders being there and, and the elders telling like, no, this is, we have a cemetery over here. We have, you know, human remains, we know. And then people's like, oh, we, they don't have nothing in there, you know. But later when they found human remains, I was like, our elders soul. You know, they told us, and they were there when that happened. But, you know, just to see there and be the youth bearing power and be like, no, this is a homeland, that was very, um, I was very happy. It wasn't just federal government entities that were responding with extreme force to a peaceful protest and trying to intimidate Kumeyaay with a threat or suggestion of violence. And sometimes some people who have uh, ranches close by too, sometimes they just come and, you know, attack us and, you know, in a very uh, mean way and uh, very disrespectful and, you know, yelling and stuff like that and trying to fight. Sometimes we are like so heated too, but, you know, we like calm down, like we're here to pray not to get in a fight. And then to get a fight, that would be the easiest thing to do. The hardest part is to control yourself and not get into that fight because we are there to do more important things and not to follow into that. That was a very hard when somebody's insulting in your face and calling your names, you know, and, and tell you a lot of things. So that was very hard. But uh, I think everyone did a good job. And we did, we did what we did and just go and, and pray and, and do a ceremony. The violence toward California Native Americans is not just a recent occurrence. It started soon after the Spanish soldiers and friars came to Alta California in 1769. Even with this history, Martha draws strength from the fellow tribal members like elders and youth, as well as from the symbolism of the Kumeyaay Nation's flag. A lot of people use the Kumeyaay flag for different, you know, reasons. And, and one example was to when they want to honor the, the Spanish soldiers over here in the Presidio, they asked for, for the Kumeyaay flag, and we're not agree with that. I said, no, we're not celebrating the Spanish soldiers after what happened. So when we went over there, and we saw that they were like all the, the, the representing, you know, the, the, the Spanish soldiers going up the hill, and I just saw them, and I saw the people, and I was like, oh, my God, hell no. So I ran over there, and I took it the flag from this guy and he was just like looking at me looking at him and so I took the flag and went back you know to my people and then so that's what I say you know it's a lot of like controversy because we want to we want to be too like involved you know over here in the city and stuff like that but some some people like take the flag to the wrong way for example like we will not celebrate the Spanish soldiers you know and and they were like doing it it's like it will allow to do that they look like we are celebrating too, but we are not, you know. And it's important to have the Kumeyaay presence, but we need to uh, make sure we're not here to celebrating all these things happen and, and sugarcoat the history. You know, I think that's our duty to 
to talk the truth, and say what happened to the truth. And that's why we have an, this organization, it's a coalition, also working with, um, with, the, you know, with the people from both sides of the border right now. We are working to have one Kumeyaay flag to represent all the Kumeyaay uh, communities from both sides, so not let the border wall to divide us. Let's take a second to recognize that that was a really important story showing contemporary acts of resistance against the ongoing colonization of Kumeyaay culture. Since Customs and Border Protection's Operation Gatekeeper border construction project in the mid-1990s, there was a more formidable border wall between the United States and Mexico. Later in 2009, after the Real ID Act waived all construction regulations regarding the border wall, another even higher fence was constructed. In addition to the border wall, there were other obstacles the Kumeyaay faced that only made interaction between tribal members more difficult, and then included proving their identity in order to move freely across the border. So we worked with, uh, with the Kumeyaay Task Force, and then working with the, the Mexican consulate over here in San Diego, so people bring people from Baja over here, and then they kind of like, um, I said they understand that people don't have those papers, so they kind of like help us to to do the visas for them. But uh, I mean, the problem is they expire now, so a lot of people they cannot cross the border because those papers expire. Right now, I mean, we're working very hard to to be more connected and to spend more time together. Because I think it was for a while, you know, it was it was that connection. It was after the border wall, you know, it was, it was just very limited. And then I think with all this, like the work that the Pejua is doing, you know, bringing people together, and now you know they have a friendship. So it's you know it's more like um, easier, you know, to to have that uh, connection. And with social media, you know, that helps a lot too. You know, like connected, being like saying hi or whatever. So yeah, so. I think it's more and more, you know, I think the ceremonies are very important and bring the elders and be connected. And to have that connection between families, I think that's, it's time for them to be connected again. No, you know, not let, allow to, the border wall to divide us anymore. So, yeah, we're doing a lot of stuff to, um, to make some changes in there. Martha has worked for years to facilitate people coming up from her home reservation, San Jose de la Zorra. When we invite them to come to different events, you know, make sure always, you know, transportation, you know, so a place they can stay and food and stuff like that. We have a lot of support, thank goodness, you know, from the communities over here too. And when we have, like, for example, the, the Women's March, we have help with different organizations, you know, can have transportation, a hotel for them, and, you know, food and stuff like that, and, and come and participate. And, and have that, you know, to empower the, the young women to come, and, and the elders, of course, to come and, and empower them to be like, hey, you know, this is a, a women's event, and we're doing this all together with all different nations. Earlier, Martha talked about how her mother was such a strong influence and has motivated her to do the work she's doing. During our talk, she again referenced her mother when I asked about the catalyst to start this work within her tribe. And a lot of, to see a lot of like injustice you know, in the communities. And I said, I think we can do something to, to have a better life you know, in our communities. That's why I'm like, I wanna to, to bring more resources to the communities so the young kids, they can see something else. No, it's just not alcohol or just you know, other things. You know, it's, it's something else they can do. 
and how the youth involved, like people who are already gone, um, they have their education and then come back to the community and bring the resources. I think that's beautiful because the young kids, I'm like, wow, we want to do that too. So I want, I would love to, to have the resources for the youth to be comfortable and so they can have an education and they can, uh, you know, they're not alone. And whatever we can do to help and support them to get a better, to have an education, a higher education, so they can, to help the communities. And, and you know, sadly right now, you know, you have to have those papers, you know, to open more doors. So we're working very hard too, so we can have the tools to help our people, for example, uh, to be respected. Okay, the elders can teach without having a Western education because they have the traditional knowledge for thousands of years and thousands of years. So why not to to put value in that? You know, we cannot learn that in any university. But it's you know going to to a Western education, you learn the tools to to fight for your own people. You know, and then and be like, no, we have the right. We have the right to to protect our traditional knowledge too. Martha holds an important perspective about what has helped to preserve cultural traditions on the U.S. side. I think the traditional gatherings and then like family, you know, teaching their own kids at home. I think that's what they learn the more, you know, with the grandpas and grandmas. And then also they have like summer camps. So that's when they teach, you know, cultural, you know, like basketry, pottery, traditional games, language. So that's another way, you know, having fun but learning at the same time. So they come all together and stuff like that. And then um, also the traditional gatherings, because, you know, everyone goes over there, have fun, you know, they have like singing, dancing, and the peon games. So it's very popular. So, yeah, people just, you know, having fun and happy to doing all the stuff. And that's how kids are learning, you know, so like growing up and they want to do more and more. And then um, I think it's very important because there can be a lot of racism between Native people too. So I think it's very important to, to, to see us as a big family, not because, oh, you enroll, you're not enrolled, because you are not white, or because of a different, you know, nations. You know, I think it's important to come all together and support each other and, 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 and be connected. Before we say goodbye, I wanted to hear from Martha how we can incorporate the Kumeyaay ways of knowing and being into our work in the borderlands. So I think one of the ways is to to preserve the areas, natural areas, and now development and how instructors, like, infrastructure in there, destroying the land. Because a lot of when they people do developments over here, you know, they destroy the land and they put like invasive plants and they kill, you know, they basically kill the native plants. So I think that's very important to people who, uh, you know, protecting the area, have have more native plants. Also, um, have more Kumeyaay names in, in whatever they're like, you know, like it's a park for Kumeyaay name and stuff like that. I think it's, it's good to to respect the first people in this area and also to let people know, you know, the this is Kumeyaay land, this people st- we're still here because sometimes people talk about Kumeyaay nation like people from the past. Like, oh, they were to you, you know, they, you know, I was talking in the past and we're like, no, we're still here. And that's what I told my people too. I'm like, we need to have the Kumeyaay present, you know, like in these areas too, because we need to let people know that we're still here, you know. Mm-hmm. 
It was so great to talk to Martha about her work with bringing Kumeyaay from both sides of the border together and learn about the Tipewa organization that helps Kumeyaay youth grow and be empowered to become full citizens. The lengths that she and others have to take to bring folks up from the Mexico side of Kumeyaay territory are discouraging, but it's heartening that through social media and negotiating with U.S. Customs, they have found a way to connect and allow the elders to meet. In his recent apology to California Native Americans, Governor Newsom recalled centuries of instances of violence, mistreatment, and neglect inflicted upon California Native Americans throughout the state's history. After such a difficult past, members of the Kumeyaay Nation draw strength from each other and continue to maintain the Kanap Kwahan truth-telling tradition to defend their sovereignty and identity. Thank you to Martha Rodriguez for sharing her personal history and important cultural perspective with us. And thank you for listening to Divided Together, a podcast series brought to you by California State Parks Foundation, Parks California, and the generosity of an anonymous donor. 